And we are back. I just want to welcome all first-time listeners and returning listeners, I'd like to say, welcome back. Uh, today's guest is residing in Queensland, so he's joining us via video call. Um, he's a good friend of mine, coach and mentor, and he goes by the name of Tiago Teixeira. How are you, mate? I've been very good, man. Um I've been very well, you know, during this time. I, I've been looking after myself, having a lot of fun with my kids. Um, I've been training every day. I've been eating healthier than ever. I finished a couple of books that, you know, I had to finish. So um, I, feel very, um, I feel very happy during this uh, time. Even that I know it is a difficult time, you know, my family is out in Brazil um, and Brazil is not crossing, you know, the best situation ever. Uh, but um, I'm a very positive guy and um, I believe that every experience is a good experience, you know. So whatever I cross in my life, I try to make the most of it and um, I try to learn from that situation as well. Um, to, to don't make the same mistakes over and over again, just like in jiu-jitsu. I could totally appreciate that, especially, um, you know, my better half is currently in New York. So for the longest period of time at the moment, New York has been the troubled area. Um, and obviously they've now gone from, you know, the trouble with the virus to the trouble with the, with the rioting and, and the looting. Um, so I can totally appreciate being away from your loved ones, uh, but how do you, do, you, do you keep in touch with people in Brazil? Like, how bad is it actually over there? Yeah, definitely. Like, I keep in touch with uh, my parents and my brothers uh, daily. You know, every day I make sure I give them a call. I show my kids to them. And um, we talk about things and we talk about strategies. And I try to help them out a bit. I have two brothers. One is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Um, and the other one is a diver. Uh, my brother that is a diver, um, he's still working very hard. He's actually busier than ever. Um, of course, my brother there is a jiu-jitsu instructor. Um, his school has also closed it, its doors, and um, he can no longer teach. He was doing the Zoom classes before, but um, now they're just waiting to see when they're going to come back. Um, my mom is very well, she runs a business in Brazil, and um, her business also had to shut down the doors, and, uh, and she had a lot of staff. Now she's bringing this staff back and trying to reorganize the company. Um, and my, my father is a, an Uber driver in Brazil, and um, he has been in hospital a couple of times, like he smokes cigarettes, and um, I think he's in that, you know, high risk, um, population you know so uh, I always worry a lot about him but hopefully um, um, he's gonna be alright after all, all of this um, situation but the situation in Brazil is no good uh, of course uh, we have a bigger population than we have in Australia so it's much hard to control that population uh, and also as well um, a lot of social difference in Brazil so uh, the government is not able to support everyone. So um, it, 
has been very tough, you know, uh, for Brazilians. Uh, um, and I feel for my parents, of course, but um, at the same time, I do feel blessed to live in Australia. Yeah, and that's crazy. So when, when did you originally come to Australia? It was how, how long ago was it now? So 11 years. And you spent that first... Ago. You, you know, you spent that first, what, eight years in Sydney before moving? Yeah, that is it. So I spent like about 80 years in Sydney. Um, the reality is like I did not know where I was going to go, right? I, um, I left the army. I was working in the army for a long time. I was an instructor. Um, I would instruct um, shooting and physical training uh, for the soldiers. So every six months, we had about 100 soldiers joining the army, and um, I had to transform them uh, from some of them from drug dealers to good soldiers, you know, responsible soldiers. It was a tough task, and um, I stayed there for seven years and a little bit, almost eight years, and then I finished my degree um, in June of 2009, and then I left the army in September of 2009, and then I came to Australia in December of 2009. Um, and that was a good decision for me. And, and, and what made you come to that decision? Like, was, was Australia always on your radar, or, or why, why Australia? Yeah, that's a great question, you know, Dennis. Uh, the reality is I, I'm a guy that I like to plan everything I do, okay? So... Um, I, I really, I keep looking at my life in five years time, right? I have that strategy. I always ask myself that question. Like if I keep doing that in five years time, where I'm going to do, where I'm going to be, what I'm going to have and, you know, how I'm going to look. So um, when I was in the army, I was already planning to travel. Why? Because the army was a lot of hard work to me. Uh, I was doing my university degree uh, while working full-time in the Army, so it was a huge load on my back. I also played soccer for my university, and I was training capoeira, and I was training uh, judo at university. Um, and um, I was, when I left the Army, I was too attached to the Army. I liked it too much. It was something that I really enjoyed. I made great friends. I had a huge, a big reputation there. You know, I had uh, my name, gear, like uh, everyone respected me a lot. So I almost stayed, right? I, like I, I did not know, like I was like, man, I'm going to stay here, you know, for, you know, do a life career in the army. But at the same time, I always been very much into studying, right? I loved studying. And I served since I was very young. So I was born on the beach, so I surfed since I was very young. So I started to, to think about, like, I'm going to go, when I finish this, I'm going to travel. I had, like, seven years of all this hard work, almost eight years of all this hard work, university degree, courses, and training. Now I need to explore the world a little bit. So uh, I did not know if I was going to go to Hawaii. Um, I did not know if I was going to go to New Zealand or to Australia. And then I started to plan, and I noticed that in Australia, I would have better opportunities than if I, go, if I went to Hawaii or to New Zealand. 
Um, and that's why I took the shot. So I, I chose Australia because I looked at the opportunities that I had here first. Because before I left Brazil, I had one decision. And the decision was, I'm not going to come back. I did not want to go back to Brazil. You know, because I could not imagine my life in Brazil without the army. You know, like uh, if I went back to Brazil, I would try to rejoin the army because I, I took it as a career. I, 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 I was proud to wear their uniform every day. Uh, was something very special for me. So to detach from the army, my strategy was to travel. So, you know, to meet new cultures, you know, learn a new, new language, uh, surf the waves that I always dreamed about surfing. So I thought in my mind that that way I would not suffer so much. I think that maybe from the army, if I went into a normal job in Brazil, um, I don't know, that would play with my mindset a lot, I think. So um, I, it was definitely the right decision. And the day that I arrived in Australia, I already knew that I was not going to go back to Brazil. I, I was 100% sure. But you weren't sure if you were going to stay in Australia, right? So you That's right. So I was not sure, right? Because the visa requirements and things like that. So uh, I had to do everything right. And once again, planning take a huge advantage. Um, uh, back in that day because um, I remember that one of the first things that I did when I arrived here was to go to a lawyer, an immigration lawyer, sit with the guy and ask him, like, what's the, how can I stay here? What are my possibilities? Is it possible? What do I have to do, right? So this guy started to give me, he gave me a couple of ways that I could stay here. You know, a good way to stay here was the sponsorship. Like get a sponsor, you know, in a job. Um, and I started to work as a British labor in construction because I could not speak English. And then I had a transition. I got a job working as a gabnet maker for a company called, um, what was the name of the company now? Um, I cannot quite remember the name of the company, but I started to work for them, and they really liked me. And they started to talk to me about the possibility of getting sponsored in that company, right? So they made me to do a forklift drives license, and they made me to do this and that to sponsor me there. But I was not super keen for the sponsor, Dennis, because um, it was like a two years agreement and I was just leaving the army and I did not think I was very prepared to take that, uh, to get hooked up again. You know, it's like when you leave a relationship, right? You, you need some time for yourself. You need to rest up for a bit so you can recover and don't make the same mistakes. So um, I think um, I did not know that I could stay or not but I knew that I had possibilities of staying here. And one thing I knew was that to stay here, I had to learn English first, you know, speak English very well because I could not speak English when I arrived. So for me, the language was a huge barrier. And in my head was, if I learn to speak English, I'll open up my 
opportunities that open up more um, possibilities for me. So I really focused on studying. Um, when I first arrived, I, I really focused on like, you know, progressing with my English and studying and meeting people. And I was like not hanging with Brazilians. I was trying my best to, you know, um, meet new Australian friends and speak English all day. And, and, and I start to build that, that, um, uh, that skill, right? And the way I see it is, um, everything that you want in long term, it's not one big step to get there, right? It's that little step that you do daily that will build you up for that bigger picture and will also prepare you. So um, um, I got my degree in physical education in Brazil and when I arrived, I studied English first and then I studied marketing, leadership and management. And then I started to study the fitness industry again to get back into the fitness industry. I was ready. My knowledge was good when I arrived. My courses in Brazil, my university was amazing. But I could not speak. So uh, that was like uh, uh, very difficult, you know, super, super, super difficult. I mean, it's always it's always tough when you don't speak the language, right? I, like I always say, like even when you're going on holidays and stuff like that, you go to a country where they, for, for me, is like if they don't speak English, you always have a little bit more of a worry, right? Because you're like, if I ever get myself into trouble or if something happens, that that communication barrier is like one of the most important things to have. It's it's with w- without communication, you really have very little. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I knew that was my focus, you know. I'm a kind of guy like that. Uh, uh, I'm not very good at multitasking. I know, I know jiu-jitsu is like a multitasking sport, but the reality is like I like to focus on the things that matter the most and I make those things a priority. I get them done and then I go step by step. Uh, but uh, I always, I don't consider myself a lucky man. Uh, but I do consider myself a very positive guy, and I have good work, work, working ethics. So every place that I did some, 100%. I mean, that was that was one of the things that I I always noticed about the way you you teach and and communicate with people. I used to always say that, you know, when when we did sessions together, you'd be the one person that I always felt guilty if I missed a session, right? But it wasn't. It wasn't uh, because you made me feel guilty. You know what I mean? Like it, it. It's not like you're one of those people that then you know points the finger and, and makes you feel guilty. But it is because you have such a positive nature about you that you kind of feel like you know if if I'm not there, I'm letting him down. And 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 it's a really hard thing to deal with within yourself, right? So I, I that that was always one of the things I noticed very early on with with your sessions. Thank you, man. Uh, I think um, I care a lot when I'm teaching. Like, I don't take it for granted, you know? And I, I like to prepare a lot. So whenever I teach a class, um, I like to write the class down. I think about it. Because one of the things that I learned, then is uh, anything in life just works 
if you put the right amount of energy into it, you know. So I do feel that my classes, um, I, man, after the class, I get tired. I get exhausted, not physically, but mentally, because I put so much energy into that class. And, and I see the class as an opportunity, you know, not just to teach jiu-jitsu and to teach a technique. The technique is a bonus, you know, the technique is, um, you know, something that, you know, everyone can learn the reality, you know, but the mindset is what's hard to change. So the reality is like, I try to educate people why physical education and, you know, martial arts is good for their lifestyle, you know, that it's good for their, not just for the physical aspects of it, but especially for the mental, you know, so, and when, um, when when did you when did you convert across to BJJ? Was that or were you already doing BJJ when you were in the army, or or was it a matter of you know you gave up? Yeah, that no, man. For the the, yeah, the, no, the reality is like I had a funny story with BJJ because BJJ has been around my life for a long time. Most of my friends in Brazil from um, school they are black belts and some of them are like very well-known black belts or MMA fighters. My uncle was a Brazilian boxing champion and he started to teach us boxing since a very young age. And he would fight Vale Tudo. So my family had a farm. They would invite people and they would bet money and they would fight bare knuckles. And my uncle was the guy beating everyone up. So we had fighters in the family um, and I was exposed to martial arts since a very young uh, age. Um, BJJ started in north of Brazil, became very famous, okay? There was a rivalry back in the day, like there were uh, rivals between Vale Tudo, that means, you know, the MMA nowadays, and BJJ, you know? So when I actually started to train, there was a, a friend of mine called Juliano Pessoa. I was very young, about 12 years old. He started to wrestle me and he took me to this school. But everything was no gi and, and very informal. The professors, they did not make a leave out of it just yet. Like they could not pay the bills teaching BJJ. And then I also trained capoeira in, in a in a school located in a very poor location. Um, and a couple of the guys from Capoeira trained BJJ. And my professor, uh, we fought a lot on the streets, right? So Brazil was violent. And I was a kind of guy that like, I actually loved the fight. I loved, you know, like I, 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 I loved it. I was not afraid of it, you know? For me, it was part of my life. And then my capoeira teacher started to push us to learn BJJ. Um, but everything was without the gi. Yeah, everything was without the gi. But then I did judo, and then I did Muay Thai as well. I did a little bit of everything. In the army, we did a lot of work, but was more on self-defense. And was more like the, the instructors that wear black belts in BJJ, but everything was focused on knife attacks or the guys trying to shoot you or things like that. Uh, however, 
we did a lot of sparring in the army, you know? That was a sparring that we call pacotão. Pacotão is like a package. So what they would do is like they would put three guys to fight you and then those guys would beat you up too, you know, until you cried almost. And, and, and we did that almost daily. That was a very common practice in the army, you know. So they would put three against one. Pacotão, Tiago, you up? And then, bah, then the three guys would just come to smash him, you know. So, is, uh, that, is that, is that, in, is that in, in, in boxing or BJJ specifically? When, yeah, when you say three guys like come not, in, not is so it much. everything? Yeah, a little bit of everything. Of course, we could not hammer each other. You know, but uh, we could, you know, submit and control and bully a little bit each other, you know. So uh, uh, it was good. And then when I arrived in Australia, uh, my flatmate was uh, also a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he invited me to train. And then I started training um, with the gi and then formal training, you know, like more to get graded. I started to chase the belts. I go, you know what? I want to be a black belt. I go, I, I didn't want to teach jiu-jitsu. So my final goal was always to be an university teacher, right? I, I want nothing to do with martial arts. I want to teach at universities. Uh, so my, my knowledge in fitness, I was very focused on learning fitness and instruction. And I love teaching classes, right? Um, but then life started to guide me to teach BJJ. I had something special there that every class I taught, people would go like, wow, you know, like this is amazing. And, uh, but did not come easy, was not natural, neither was something that I had to put a lot of work into it. Um, not just to learn the sport but uh, to be in a position to teach the sport. And was there a specific time where, where it clicked with you, where you were like, okay, actually, I am going to start teaching this now? Yeah, Danny. So um, I started to teach privates, and I started to teach conditioning classes for Legacy first. So I did a lot of conditioning classes there at Legacy. Everything was informal. Um and uh, people would pay as we, you know, do the class. There was nothing. It was not a job. It was more a passion to help the others. Um, and um, I started to teach when I was a blue belt, um, conditioning, more focusing on conditioning, you know. And um, then I had that transition with the Wimp to Warrior uh, to work more specific with MMA. Um, and, um, and I think that's when I took a good shot and, um, and I go, okay, um, I really like this and, but my focus once again was not to teach jiu-jitsu, like jiu-jitsu came to my life. I did not, I was not chasing jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu came to my life. And a funny thing about it is that a lot of people, sometimes they say to me like, man, it's a hard career or man I do this I have a business and I I train jiu-jitsu daily and I want to pass jiu-jitsu to people it's a choice that I made in my life it is not because I have to and definitely I did not do it because of the money because uh, 
especially during the beginning, there's no money in the industry. Until you build a reputation and you build your skills and you show who you are, it's a tough road. So a lot of people quit, right? So uh, during that time, so I started to build myself up. And one of the things that I think I did different than the other instructors was I focused on self-development. I was always studying, not just a sport, but the behind the scenes, the physical movements, the theories, the history of the sport, the, the concepts, the philosophy. I, I, I went deep into that uh, study zone to build my skills. It's kind of crazy. And um, do, you, do you feel like your, your, your pastime um, in the army as well, do you think that's helped you carry, like is there lessons that you learned in the army and your time in the army that you can now translate across to BJJ or they totally two different things? Two no, different man, beasts? 100%, you know, Dennis, uh, that's a great question. For a long time in my life, I actually tried to forget I tried to delete the army from my mind because I was very um, attached to it. It was like a, something that I really loved, right? So I started to try to forget about the army and I go, no, no, I'm a civilian. I don't need to think about an army guy anymore. But when I started to read and study business and I started to read like a lot of business books, I started to understand that like the same concepts that we apply in the army to make the missions to work, if I applied those concepts to a business perspective, I would be successful. And, and uh, as you know, Jiu-Jitsu also has a lot of similarities. We line up, we wear uniform, the instructor has comments that we use during the class so people get use it to your instruction, the way you talk, the way you, you position yourself in front of the class. Um, and in the army, I was an, an instructor there. So I think that was something that I had in my, in my plate that a lot of other people did not have. I had a lot of experience instructing, leading, um, delegating, however, the army, of course, is a little bit different because if I say something to someone, to a soldier, he must do it. You know, in a martial arts environment, it doesn't work that way. You know, I have to educate people why they should do it, how they should do it. In the army, you, boy, you direct with your instruction. You get the guy to do what you want them to do, right? Um, so I think the army is essential. And now more than ever, I started to reapply those concepts that I learned in the army to my business. Um, and that went very well for me. And I did that after reading a book from Joko Willing called uh, Leadership Strategies and Tactics. I think that's the title of the book. Um, after reading that book, a lot of uh, memories came back to me and I started to apply much, much more my army knowledge into my business. Crazy. So you've come over, you you then started with, with Legacy, um, then you made the transition across 
to to Queensland, uh, and you spend a little bit of time with the Gracies as well uh, before opening, I guess, uh, Virtue, correct? Yeah. So, so um, is is Virtue yeah. is Virtue your brand or or is that uh, once again like uh, one gym out of a bigger circle of gyms? Where, where, where's Virtue? No, no, uh, Virtue came from a pen and a paper, you know. So, and uh, yeah. So, so, I'll and, tell and, you and how story. do you, how, 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 okay, so if, if Virtue came from a pen and paper, can you, can you explain to us obviously how that came about, but also the meaning behind, I guess, you know, everyone always, when they launch a business or they launch a brand, they always have some sort of meaning behind that as well. So if I was to say virtue, what, what does that stand for? Um, and yeah, how, how did it all come about? Man, like uh, virtue stands for like doing the right thing, you know, trying to do the right thing all the time, right? Uh, when, um, what happened to, to the, the, the business was, I left Gracie Bar. I opened a Gracie Barra school called Gracie Barra Surface Paradise. And I opened with an investor and we had a deal and um, it didn't work, right? I had to, I left my job. I was a full-time employed teacher and academic supervisor at a school called Gold Coast International College. And this investor approached me to open a school and everything looked very good in the paper, but when it went to real life, it was not, you know, what I was expecting and was not the way we actually agreed. So I decided to leave and broke my heart because I was also developing a lot of programs for Gracie Barra, working with the Gracie Barra headquarters in America, you know? So I was working for Gracie Barra, not just for the school. The school was for the investor, but I was also working for Gracie Bar. I took the decision to leave because there was no other locations that I could open my Gracie Bar school here because everything was too close to this school that I had before. So I could not keep going with that business. And I started straight away to work again. The day that I left Gracie Bar, I started to work at a college called College of Sports and Fitness. So I started to do online assessments and to, you know, um, work a little bit with supervising students and they gave me a good opportunity. I started to make much more money than I was making teaching jiu-jitsu. So I came to my wife and said, look, I think I'm just going to take jiu-jitsu as a hobby. I'm going to keep training. I'll compete. What's up? I make much better money, you know, in this industry. Um, I, I love training jiu-jitsu. I'm just going to, you know, stick with the fitness industry and train jiu-jitsu as a, a, a hobby. So I started to train with my friends again, Professor Daniel Almeida, Professor Vicente. I started to visit them and train. But I had that thing at home and I made that school. I built it. I I, you know, I got up to a lot of students. All the classes were always full. I go like, I, I did it. You know, I, I, I know how to do it. And I did a good job, you know. Um, should I keep going with jiu-jitsu? I was like, nah, I'm not going to keep going. So one day, my wife and me and my kids, we got invited 
to go to a sports center because they wanted me to open a jiu-jitsu school there. Someone, one of the students that was, you know, watching me and, and was my student, saw my potential and said, man, maybe you should open this school here. The guys have already 5,000 active members. You're going to get a lot of members. And, you know, they, 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 there is every type of sports inside of that center. It's going to be good for jiu-jitsu. And I was like, wow. I was like, maybe I should do that. So I went to check it out, the place. When I arrived at the reception, I was with my wife and my kids. And uh, the receptionist asked me, what's your name? And I said, my name is Tiago. I am a jiu-jitsu instructor, and I have a meeting now. There was an old lady standing on the counter. She just did a workout. She had a bottle of water. And she said to me, you are Tiago from Gracie Barra? And I was like, yeah, that's me. And she started to cry. And she gave me a hug. And she started to cry in front of my wife. Man, I got very emotional. I got goosebumps just telling this story. So she started to cry. And she said to me, uh, you don't know what you have done to my family. You saved my grandson's life. He was on drugs before. He tried to kill himself. Like, since he started to work with you, he's another kid. You changed our life. So she started, man, she cried, 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 cried. And, I, man, I got very emotional. And I cried as well, you know. Like, I was like, wow. So I had the meeting with the guy. I got in the car. And I said to my wife, I said, I'm going to pursue jiu-jitsu. And she said, you sure? Like, financially is not the best option for us. Uh, but I support you. And I said to her, I said, but see, like, I won't get that in many other jobs. I said, there's something special about me. And I think my life is guiding me that way. And I, I'm not going with the flow. I'm planning. I have, I have desires. I have, you know, things that I want to achieve. And I said to my wife, and I think I'm good at it. I want to open up this school again. So I contacted Gracie Barra again, and they said, we cannot open in the locations that you want. And I said, okay, so I'm going to open my own brand. And then we start to, to talk about it. What is it going to be? What's the name? What, you know? So as you know, people call me soldier. My wife goes, like, let's go soldier BJJ. I was like, no, 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 nothing regards to that. And she was like, what would you like to do? And I was like, I would like to build a brand that will help people. And that can grow beyond jiu-jitsu. Um, and then we started to think about possibilities and to think about the name. And my wife said, a good name that would fit you is virtue. And I said, I agree, you know, because I'm a guy that I, I try to always do the right thing by people. You know, I have, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm brave, I'm responsible. I'm, I have a lot of virtues that um, made my personality and that makes people to be attracted by me. So we created the name, and then I started to play with the logo. And then I started to draw it on the paper, and then my wife would draw as well, and then we would have fun with it. We did not have a location. We did not have the money. Uh, we had nothing. We just had the idea. And then we started to build, and then the logo came up, and I was like, opa, I like it. And then the location came up. I was like, oh, 
the money started to come from everywhere. I go like, wow, man, so many people want to invest on me now. It's unbelievable. And we started to build our, our brand. And man, virtue, when we opened the doors, um, in, after three months, I got to 115 members. Uh, so the school took off extremely quick. It was unbelievable for me. And, uh, and the impact that it had in the community around us was huge. And we made a lot of friends. So the brand is going like, you know, growing a lot. But uh, I have plans for virtue that go beyond jiu-jitsu. Okay, and is that something you can talk about or is that something that you're, you're going to keep to yourself? No, man, with me there's no secrets, you know. But uh, the reality is, as you know, it's very hard to make a leap um, out of martial arts, okay? Or you top athlete, which you can make a little bit of money for a while, or you're going to depend on seminars that, you know, they while you're on top, they come. When you go down, they don't come to you. Or you open a school and you depend on memberships. Um, Jiu-Jitsu for me is the fun part of my work. I love to be on the mats. Man, it makes my day when I put the kimono to teach the kids. And, you know, like I, I really, really enjoy it. But my focus is to grow the brain, get into the fitness clothing industry. I want to grow like a lifestyle brand. And that's the vision that I have for virtue. If it's going to work or not, time will tell. But uh, every day I got to try to do that little bit to get to my final objective, you know. And one of the goals that I built to myself here is I'm in a very nice location. And I have six years of lease. So after the six years, I would like to buy this warehouse for me. I want it to be mine. So every day I visualize this and I think about it and I put my energy towards it because I think I'm going to be able to achieve it. And it's amazing. I mean, from, from what I've seen, I, I haven't been. I mean, I remember coming up to Queensland and we were going to meet up with each other and then I think you had to travel somewhere last minute or whatever and, and it never eventuated. But from the photos that I've seen, the premises is actually quite big, right? There's a lot of, a lot of square metres there. Yeah, I mean, the school is huge, you know. Uh, uh, it's 455 square metres. Uh, most of it is mats. Um, I have a conditioning area, restrooms, two toilets and showers, uh, kids playroom, coffee, um, there's a little coffee room, uh, there's a massage uh, room inside of the school, so a lot of the students do their recovery inside of the school. Uh, the area that we have is amazing, and uh, everything as well came uh, uh, with like uh, my vision and, and asking friends, and I have a mentor, I have a business mentor, I'm very blessed. Uh, he helps me a lot with my ideas. And uh, he's a, a very good person. Um, and, uh, and sometimes when I don't know or when I, I, I'm struggling with something, a decision or whatever, he's the guy that I go to and I ask him questions. And he um, guides me very well. And I really trust him. 
because I believe like um, he really wants to see me to succeed, you know. Um, so um, if uh, the place is amazing, the the environment, the school environment is amazing, and um, we have very loyal students, man. And and but if you ask me, Tiago, what is the tool to grow a school? There are a lot of tools to grow a school, right? Systems and marketing and but for me, one of the most important tools that we can have in martial arts to grow a school and to grow the reputation of that school is the quality of the instruction. If the quality of the instruction is poor, doesn't matter how beautiful the school is, how big your mat space is, how clean your school you know, is presented, you fail, you fail. People are here because they, um, one, they don't want to be fighters. Most of them, 1% want to be a fighter, right? Most of them, they want to lose weight, uh, build their confidence. They want their kids to uh, avoid bullying at school. There's like a bigger purpose behind training martial arts, you know? And, uh, and we really focus here at Virtue on the instruction. And I totally agree with that. I mean, that's that's what I was saying to you before about, you know, feeling guilty for not turning up. And, and it wasn't to do with the techniques you were teaching. It wasn't, it, once again, it was the uh, the vibe, the environment that you, you created, right? And and, I, and I've always been a big believer of that. I, I mean, even now when I go to training, I always try to make it fun in some degree because if it becomes a chore, I don't know how long I would do it for, right? But if I can have fun with it, then the chances of me continuing to train is 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 a lot higher, if that makes sense. A hundred percent, yeah. It, it has to be achievable, right, for the students. And and the reality is, like, jiu-jitsu scared a lot of people during the beginning because um, we are searching for fighters. Jiu-jitsu focused on uh, competition too much to prove that the art was effective. Um, and uh, we now have, have, have done it. We all know how effective jiu-jitsu is. Like, I remember, many your fights, you know, you're walking back, eating punches, the guy kicking you, the guy's super fit, and I was confident that you're going to snap him down, grab him by the neck, and finish him off on that anaconda choke. I knew that was going to happen. Why? Because you train that many times, you know. I remember from the side of the cage when I started to scream at you, Dennis, anaconda. Richie Crane was like, no, no, don't tell him to do that, no. And, and I was like, Anaconda, I knew it was possible. Why? Because it's jiu-jitsu. You don't need but to also, how, 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 cra- how crazy was it the, the fact that we had actually met up the weeks leading up to that? Do you remember that? And we had the conversations and you asked me, you said, how do you want to finish this fight? And I said to you, I want to get him with the Anaconda, which is kind of weird because it's one of those times where you know, I'm, I'm not, I guess, the biggest believer of that you can manifest everything, but it was just so weird that having those conversations and, and having those thoughts, right? And, and so for, for me, it was the, bigger, the biggest struggle was not what I wanted to do, it was how I could get to that. You know what I'm saying? Especially when I was yeah. getting hit, hit in the face, yeah. it was like, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to get there. But it was, a constant, it was a constant thought process of like, 
how do I get where I want to get to, right? But it was crazy, the fact that we even spoke about it and, and you know, it played out exactly, I guess. And um, we worked on that technique. We worked on that technique. We worked on that technique. And that's why I believe, I always believe, like, man, everything just happened if you put your energy towards that, you know? So you actually put your energy towards that anaconda choke. You go, oh, I want to do that. I, I believe I can do that, you know? And when the guy got close to you, he got in big trouble and he tapped very quick, you know? And I remember your mom before the fight coming to me and she was so scared, man. And I say, don't worry, everything's gonna be all right. But I was super scared too, because the other dude looks, you know, very fit and very well prepared as well. Had great coaching on his uh, side of the ring. And, uh, and I was like, no, but I think, uh, it is doable, then it's gonna do it, you know? And I remember even during the warm up, we worked a little bit on that technique as well. And you actually got it done, you know? That was amazing. It was, it was crazy. It was really, really crazy. But let's go back to um, obviously the gym. So you, you, you opened up your own gym. Um, things are going well. You said 115 members within a couple of months. And then obviously we all got struck with, with these lockdowns that we're sitting in at the moment. Um, how, how has your business, I guess, survived through that period? Well, there is the reality is like, uh, I try to use jujitsu for everything that I do in my life nowadays. Okay. Uh, one of the concepts that I like the most of jujitsu is the concept that says, uh, get to achieve your high performance with uh, less effort as possible, you know? So when coronavirus came, I was actually the first school in the Gold Coast to close the doors because uh, my son doesn't have a kidney and uh, a hunter, my little son. And I was very afraid if, you know, I got sick and he got sick because of me and, you know, and something happened there, I would feel guilty for life. So I decided, I took a decision to close the school. But then a lot of the students say, you can maintain our memberships. 98% of the students say that to me. Tiago, please maintain our memberships. We don't want to cancel. It's like, okay, I'll do that for one month. And then I'll take another decision. I did not want to rush my decisions because things are changing too quick. So how can I take a long-term decision if tomorrow everything can change, right? In the end of this month, and I had the first month went there, everyone was paying membership, everyone was paying membership. I spoke to my wife and I said, I don't think it is fair that my students take the hit. I said, we cannot offer the service that we are offering before. I started to teach Zoom classes. I hate it, did not like it, right? I started to teach those classes. Um, and uh, I say to my wife, I'm going to suspend all the memberships until further notice. And my wife said, you crazy. And what about us, our family? And I said, I'll take the hit. I, I had the kids at home with me full time, like any other parents. My wife was working. Uh, we were very blessed. She had the job as well. Um, and um, I decided to suspend all the memberships. So my business went from 115 members 
back to zero, right? But then what I did, I put my elbows in, like in jiu-jitsu. I go, I cannot spend much money. I got to cut whatever cost I have uh, that will affect the business in the future. I don't know how long I'm going to be closed for. There was a lot of things playing in my mind, right? As a brand new business, you know, there's not a lot of cash flow. So I go, what should I invest on? I said, I'm going to invest on my online curriculum. So I built a brand new online curriculum. I had the curriculum on paper as well. I contracted um, a, 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 a professional company called BJJ Docs to come here and record the curriculum. And I recorded 20 weeks of curriculum for each level of, um, of um, um, jiu-jitsu practitioner that I had on my um, design curriculum. So I invested on that, and I did not spend um, a lot of money. I kept that cash flow in my account. And then I started to do a couple of privates, you know, and then I started to, uh, I reduced all my cost, my personal cost. I'm not a very expensive guy, neither. So I always wear the same clothes and I wear my gear for most of my day. And I eat very, you know, I'm a simple guy. Man, for me, was tough, for the business was tough. But we actually could keep most of the cash flow. I did not need to keep putting money into the business. I did not participate in that fight with the landlord against the tenant. What I did was another investment. I contacted a proper lawyer and I called him and I said, my friend, look, you deal with this. You tell me how much is it going to be. You know that I don't have much cash flow, but I don't want to be dealing with the landlord. You know the law better than me. I want to do whatever it's fair, but I don't want the guy to take advantage of me. So I passed that on to the, the lawyer, and I focused on building my online curriculum and keep connected with the students that I had. Um, we opening the doors again next Saturday on the 13th, and uh, most of our members are reactivating the memberships. And, um, and I think the business will take over very quickly again, you know. So for me, it was... A uh, hard time, but I could improve a lot of things in the business that I did not have time to improve before. So it uh, was actually very good for the business. I lost a little bit of money. Poor man, of course I lost a lot of money, right? Um, but uh, I'm still alive. We opening again. I can do it again. You know, there's a friend of mine that says... Uh, when you do it the second time, you always do it better, you know? So um, I think it's the third time now that I'm opening a gym from scratch. Um, and I think I'm going to do much better than I did uh, the previous times. Well, I think you will because you've already got a member base waiting to come back. So I think in that sort of sense, you will. And, um, you know, I totally agree. There, 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 there were two ways of using this time. Some people were just, you know, were locked inside and, and they wasted the time. And other people obviously took this time to do things that, as you said, 
they were too busy to do before, right? So I, I, I think, you know, in, in some degree, like this, this whole break was a reset button and it was kind of a blessing in disguise for some people, not for everyone, but for some. But um, obviously you are opening this Saturday. Is there any sort of precautions that you've now had to implement um, in regards to... Oh, I mean, to 100%. The, so, so, so what's changed from pre-lockdown to now? Like when you open your doors, what, what kind of precautions are now going to be in place that weren't originally there? So a lot of changes, right? Like one of the biggest ones now is uh, uh, a lot of people are asking me like, ah, is it going to be physical drills only or are we going to do contact sport? We're going to do contact sport. We're not going to do physical drills only. I know, but it's the guideline of the government. No, the guideline of the government is to reduce the crowd and to apply social distance. I'm gonna do that. But I guess with the, the with I guess with the physical distancing uh, or social distancing, physical contact kind of does go against social distancing, right? A hundred percent. But uh, how I'm gonna reduce the, the, the we gotta reduce it, right? We gotta reduce as much as possible. So and a lot of things are double uh, standards, right? So for example, my business has been closed for three months. But there was 11,000 people on the streets in Brisbane protesting, um, you know, hugging each other and jumping and putting each other on their shoulders. Um, I think the protest has a beautiful reason behind all the scenes. But at the same time, oh boy, it doesn't make sense to me. What is my one of the measures that I'm going to apply here to reduce it? I'm marking the mats. I'm making uh, square areas on the mats. When I line up the students, I'm going to designate a training partner for, this, for that student. So the student is going to have the same training partner for the session or, if possible, for the week. So uh, that way I'm minimizing the, 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 the contact of that student with other students as much as possible. Um, we're not letting the students to use the restrooms, bubblers, or uh, the kids' room. We're not allowing spectators. We're not going to let the parents to sit and watch the classes. I'm going to have a, a, a girl here that's going to work for us at the reception. When the student gets to the door, we're going to take fever. We're going to clean the hands. And we're going to guide this student straight on the mats. Uh, and the kids, we, we drop off only. So the parents drop the kids off, go home. After the class, they come and pick the kids up from jiu-jitsu. So I'm doing everything that I can to respect the social distance guidelines. Um, however, I do believe that it's impossible to train jiu-jitsu um, without uh, contact. I think it loses the magic of the sport. Okay, um, I really believe that it loses the magic of the sport. And the way to minimize it will be limiting the amount of contact that the student will have during the class. Instead of having contact, close contact with 10 people, he's going to have with one. 100%. But um, I guess the, the other flip of the coin there is, like, have you thought about what would happen if, say, one person then ends up testing positive to some degree? Um, we shut the doors again. For the whole, for the whole academy? For or, or, or just for that person? Or just for that but person and their rolling partner? Or you close the no, doors 100%? No, so we, we put that into our policies. So 
if someone from the school gets infected by the virus, the school is closed, okay? We incentivating the students to, we cannot, it cannot be compulsory, but we incentivating the students to download the COVID safe app, right? If something or someone gets infected here or comes infected to the school, we're shutting the doors for 14 days again, and we're gonna advise all the students to get tested. So when we reopen, if you're not tested, if you haven't got tested, for some reason, we're not gonna reactivate your memberships. So this is another thing that I've been thinking a lot is, imagine if there is a law, another, another um, breakdown of this infection and we have to close again for another three months or, so it's not over just yet, you know? So we do gotta respect the guidelines as much as possible. And we do gotta make uh, the, the training environment um, as clean, as safe, and as fun as possible during this time too. Man, I think it's gonna be super challenging, but at the same time, I do believe that it's gonna benefit the sport. So for example, in my school here, I don't allow people to train without the uniform or without the rash guard. And that's a daily fight. You know, the guy gets here and goes, whoa, where's your rash guard, man? Oh, I don't have it. Boy, you cannot train. I'm gonna buy another one. And then, you know, it messes around the relationship a little bit. Now, what? Man, no, you cannot train without the rash guard. Why? Uh, because of safety. Oh, boy, there's a virus out there. The more protection you have, the more, uh, uh, the safer you'll be. So, like, for example, kids drop off only. Man, the kids, they perform much, much better when the parents are not watching. The, the quality of the class goes up through the roof when the parents are actually not watching the class. Because when the parents are around, the kids, they feel safe. So they start to walk around or they feel pressured by the parents and then they cannot perform well, you know? So I, I learned that I did a kid's camp here and the parents had to drop off the kids and go. And the kids stayed here with me for the entire morning. Man, was the best thing I did. The kids were like having so much fun. They listened to me. They, you know, they helped me to clean the, the school. They became part of it suddenly. When the parents are here, they, it's not the mentality. So there are a lot of things that I don't know just yet, Dennis, about the, how is it gonna be? But I'm doing my best here to make the school as safe as possible for the students. And we are very lucky because our public, our main public are families. We have a lot of full families training here, you know, which means that I can pair up the husband with the wife or, you know, the cousins together or, so I'm gonna try to apply those strategies um, and we gotta give it a shot because the reality is people want us to open. Um, we now have the green flag to open. Um, and um, I, I built those policies thinking about how can I make this uh, experience um, a good 
and innovative experience for the student. So the student is not frustrated and is not angry and ah, I was like that before and I cannot do this. No, man. Now you can do it in a little different way. And I got to educate these students that it's going to be better for you. It can be. So, for example, let's say, Dennis, you are a competitor, right? You like competition. Yep. When I pair you up, I'm going to pair you up with another competitor. You know, like I'm, I'm going to make your training hard. Um, I'm going to look after you. It, it, I think there's a, a lot of effort for the school owner that is committed to provide a good service. And I don't, I don't think we should uh, take it as a joke. I think we should be super, super, super serious regards to the situation. Because I see my family in Brazil, eh, people are struggling. Ah, in Australia is different. Yes, but it's not over yet. 100%. And, and I guess, you know, the debate that we're having at, at the moment is, especially when it comes to Queensland, is, is the opening of state borders, right? Because like everywhere else now, we, we've kind of opened those borders, but Queensland, for whatever reason, they're, 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 <laughs> they're being tough about it. They're just like, nope. Yeah, man, I like you bringing this top. This is like a... Uh, this is like a, a, a crazy topic, but at the same time, I understand the decision. And, and for example, in Queensland, there is only um, uh, three active uh, cases at the moment, um, and they are very well controlled, right? So what they don't want is like this, you know, a lot of people coming in and bringing the virus without any type of control. I actually trained in Byron Bay a couple of times during the the COVID, the 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 the, the uh, process that you know you could not uh, uh, leave you know uh, your place. But I actually trained with Talisson Soares there, and I drove all the way there, and um, we trained just himself and, and myself uh, together. And uh, on my way back, I had to cross the border, but I had um, I had a paper a permission in my car saying that I was going there for work and that's the reality I was going there for work not just to train jiu-jitsu but to talk about the business um, and they let me in without you know um, a lot of questioning or like they were actually very polite at the border with me um, and very good so uh, um, I, I cannot like I don't know that much to say, nah, they should open it. I, I agree with the work that the government is uh, doing, most of it. Um, some things that I disagree, maybe because I don't know as much as I should. Um, I'm not a politician. Um, and um, jiu-jitsu also has uh, taught me to follow the rules. So I, everything that I do, I try to follow the rules as much as possible, and I try to pass that on to my students, you know. I try to tell them, like, you know, what we, we teach in jiu-jitsu, what you learn in jiu-jitsu is discipline, respect, camaraderie, um, you know, like you, you become more social, you learn how to protect yourself, uh, you, like all those values that you learn, we have to apply during this time now. And we do have to help each other, you know. Um, and if you ask me, for example, Tiago, if you were a student, 
that that's what my my thinking was during this time. If I was a student, would I keep paying membership or not? Of course I would if I had a job. What about if I lose my job? You know, so a lot of professors they I, I saw it happening and for me it was not the best strategy. A lot of people started to put themselves in a victim position like this. Please, guys, keep your school alive. Your school has to reopen. Keep paying your memberships. I understand this. I understand that. I know how important it is. But do you know if your student has a job or not? Do you know if your student's actually helping the parents overseas? Do you know that if your student can pay that membership, is that healthy for him? Um, so I don't like to owe anything to anyone, you know. I don't like to uh, put myself in a position that you come to me and say, "Poor Tiago, I did this for you and I did that for you, and now you." No, no, you know. So I preferred, as I said before, to suspend my memberships while I could. No payments were required from the students. Um, now that I'm opening, I'm not going to reactivate all the members neither. Uh, I, I'm going to let them to come in. See if they are happy with the rules, and then we reactivate the membership. If they not, not much that I can do. They're gonna have to wait a little bit more, you know. Um, I and don't I guess, know, as I said before. Sorry, I, I was ju I was just gonna say, and I guess it is what it is. I mean, and you know, it it really is. Everyone's situation is a little different, as you say. Some people have been able to keep their job the whole way through. Some people you know, have been able to jump on the uh, job keeper, some on the job seeker, and then there's others that haven't got anything at the moment, right? So everyone's situation's kind of different. And I mean, even with the opening of the borders, like I'm over here just going, I want international travel to start. But that's because my situation has my better half at the other side of the world, right? So for me, one of my main goals is to have that international border open. Yet everyone else is probably quite happy to keep those borders closed right now, right? And it it, it really is. It uh, uh, you everyone's got their own cases to kind of state, if that makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. And and it, it, it's important as well, man. That uh, I think we do respect and follow the rules. Uh, uh, sometimes even when we disagree, but in moments like that, uh, instead of getting separated. We should try to get together. Sometimes we don't agree with some things, but it, that happens with any relationships. You know what I mean? Like, uh, no one there out there can say, like, man, I marry with someone that we agree in everything we do. No, we don't. Like, I have a perfect marriage. I, I, I believe in, and my wife and me, we disagree in a lot of things. But some things we know that uh, even that I don't like, I got to do it. And this is discipline, you know, like, well, I don't like that. Yeah, but at the moment, you got to do it. That's you true. you got to do it. That's the way it is. That's true. So I'm going to wrap it up pretty much. Um, before I do that, I just want to ask, have you been keeping up with the uh, the fights? Man, I'm watching a couple of them, you know. Um, I'm watching some fights out there. Um I, I focused a lot more on jiu-jitsu nowadays. I do watch a lot of MMA fighters, you know. Professor Daniel uh, is an MMA fighter. He loves MMA. Uh, but uh, 
Yeah, like I've been reading more than uh, watching. I'll I guess, I, guess, I guess the reason I ask you was um, this this last weekend after the fights, uh, Conor McGregor came out and announced his retirement again, and I just obviously was going to get your thoughts and feelings about that because I know you know in the past you haven't really you know agreed with a lot of things that Conor McGregor does, and I just wanted to kind of get your your thoughts on on his retirement news. Um, do you, yeah. do you think do you um, think it's legitimate? And uh, yeah, what are your your feelings about that? I, don't, I think it is like it is hard to know if he's you know playing the the. I think he's playing the game. Um, I think he's very good at it. Uh, I think I, I actually I like him better than I liked in the past. Uh, you know, like uh, he really proved like he's uh, an amazing fighter. Um, he does have his way to do things, um, but that's who he is. Um, but I think that's another, um, another. You know, he's trying to close another deal, uh, maybe. But I think, man, it's always smart, okay, for a fighter. It's always smart for a fighter to uh, retire when they are on the top of their career, okay. Because there is a transition moment there. Nowadays, fighters, they make money. A few years ago, fighters made no money, right? So they fight because they fought because they had a lot of heart um, and they want to prove that they were good. But the reality, the money was just a little part of it. Nowadays, a lot of fighters are fighting because the money is very good, right? And, and, However, he, and, and he's one of the main reasons, right? So like whether you love him or hate him, um, he did. He, it. he he really upped that payday for all fighters. He was a revolution for this sport in that aspect, and I love that about him. You know, for example, Dennis, I, I say that to people a lot. I say, man, uh, I charge here for my students a hundred dollars per private, right? And some people say to me, Paul, can you give me a discount?" And I go, man, do you know how much sweat, time, knowledge? Um, sparring, study, uh, frustrations, I had to put into it to actually teach you this technique. It doesn't come natural. It's not something that, you know, I learn in five minutes and I'm passing it on to you. It's a lifetime uh, of dedication to get there. I think uh, uh, McGregor and all the other fighters, if they act like him, they, they put themselves in that position that, no, no, man, I'm the best. I deserve to get that, and that's what I work for. I, I think that's a, that's a beautiful skill to have, and I'm with him in that, you know? Um, and I also do believe that um, we, I don't know much the, what he does. I know he has a, a suit company, I believe, um, but maybe, the, he, maybe his focus now can be on growing the business because he knows he's getting older. You know, so for example, I saw some people saying he's gonna fight Anderson Silva. Um, for me, it's so sad to see Anderson, Jose Aldo, like losing so many fights. You know, because they are in the end of the career, they are older, man. They they don't have the same flexibility. They don't have the same um, uh, power. They don't have the same stamina. They don't. Uh, we got to accept that reality. Put a soccer player 
36 years old to run with a soccer player that is 20 years old. You, you, you can't, right? It, it, it doesn't happen. In a lot of sports, for example, gymnastics, uh, a high-performance gymnastic athlete finishes their career when they, boy, they're young, 20-something years old, they finish end of career. I believe that fighting is going to go that way. Um, and I do believe that it's very smart from the fighters to prepare to have that transition, you know. Um, another thing that can happen then is just a lot of people now are pursuing MMA because they see there's a career there. There's money, right? So people go, there's money in MMA. I want to be a fighter. I want to make that much money. I'll fight. Okay. What about if you get hurt halfway there? What is your second option? What about if something makes it impossible to you to pursue your career? Or what about if you don't make the money they're expecting to make with MMA? What are you going to do? And the other thing is, I, I think a lot of people, like you were saying before about learning techniques as well, is that they think it's going to happen a lot quicker than what it actually does, right? Like, even if you do make it to the prime of fighting, you're probably going to spend a good part of 10 years getting there, right? It's not gonna. Ha- it's not gonna happen overnight, like you and 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 that ten years that nobody sees. It's like that, you know, when they always show that that diagram of the iceberg and they they show the tip of the iceberg and they say that's success, but then under the water is the the main part of the iceberg that nobody ever sees, right? And it's kind of the same thing. Like people, I I think are sometimes a little misguided. Like they they want to go out, they want to achieve it, and it's all great, but. They think it's going to happen overnight. And, uh, I mean, look, there are always going to be certain stories where someone is just a freak in nature and, and they are able to achieve that. But uh, I think a lot of the times, you know, um, it's, it's, it's a long road. It's a very, very yeah. long road. And I, I, like, I don't want to be a dream breaker. I don't want to be a dream killer. But um, there is like, you know, less than 1% you get to that um, level, right? Um, but there's, there's, a, there's a light in the end of the tunnel there. And what is it? Uh, even for the sport, okay? This is a vision that I have to share with you, and I think it's super cool. So surf, right? I love surfing. And back in the day, um, the competitive side of surfing was big, but surfers could never make money, okay, with surfing. Um, just the top, you know, five maybe. Right? I would not even say top 10, maybe the top five, right? So um, then there was a time that Kelly Slater um, started to compete against Andy Irons. So they had like the Irons brothers. So it was Bruce Irons and Andy Irons. And in that time came um, a career that they called the free surfer. What was the free surfer? The free surfer was... A, a, a strong brand would sponsor someone to take him to these amazing places around the world with someone recording him all the time and, you know, to do whatever he wants to do in the surfboard. What happened with the sport was a lot of competitors started to become free surfers because they saw more possibilities to make a career doing that. And the sport 
grill. The sport just took over. The maneuvers changed. People started to do backflip on surfboards. Why? The surfers they became more creative. If you have freedom to do whatever you want to, creativity is there, right? So it changed completely the sport of surfing, right? And another thing is, for example, rip curl. Everyone has a rip curl shirt, but the guy doesn't surf, but he does has a shirt. And rip curl uses surf as a as a way to promote the brand and the lifestyle. So I think fighting, when we start to get more support from bigger brands that can really um, um, support athletes and, and, and let them to be creative about what they do, I think will change a little bit the, the scene of MMA and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, especially Jiu-Jitsu, I believe. I think MMA is, is, is huge. Jiu-Jitsu is a big sport too, but the reality, if you're just a jiu-jitsu athlete, you will still not make that that great money to retire and to you, you gotta have something parallel to it. Sometimes it can be a school or it can be a seminars or online platform or something. So uh, the same thing they're bringing with McGregor is like, we don't know the plans. Maybe he has better opportunities if he doesn't fight. He could well, be him. Well, he does. He's, he's now, obviously, as you said, he's got his clothing, but he, uh, I think his main moneymaker now is his whiskey. He's, he's blown up with, with just, obviously, the Irish whiskey, which I guess is a good thing to fall back on, right? Um, yeah, and you cannot focus in too many things, and that's for athletes... So, for example, if Gregor now is focusing on business, he's not going to be able to perform as well as he was before in MMA. As simple as that. that that's black and white. Most of the athletes are the same. Uh, in Jiu-Jitsu, Rafael Mendes and Guy Mendes, when they opened that Jiu-Jitsu school, they did not compete anymore. They were many times world champions. As soon as they opened the Jiu-Jitsu school, they stopped competing. Why? Because boy, the focus now is here. We got to grow this. That's what we got to grow. In the army, we say, if you focus in two rabbits, you're not going to catch none. Both are going to escape. And over, here we, and over here, we say you can either be uh, a jack of all trades or a master of one, right? It's the same kind of thing, it's really. better to be yeah. a master of one sometimes, I think. Right. But on, on, on that note, I'm, I'm going to have to wrap it up. Um, but before I do, if, if people are wanting to come to Virtue or people are wanting to hit you up with any questions, where can they contact you? Um, yeah. Man, contact me on my Instagram, at um, Tiago, underline Virtue BJJ, or uh, on Virtue's Instagram, at Virtue BJJ. I have a, a low following at the moment because all my accounts got uh, hacked. So I had to delete everything. I could not access my accounts. And then I had to, you know, rebuild it. Uh, but if you have any questions or if you want to come here to train with us or whatever, hit me up and um, I'll do my best to help. Thank you once again. I do appreciate the time. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you once they do uh, open the borders. But on that note, I will say we are done. And that is it. I'm away. 
I'm the one.